Another week, another podcast. Kyler Murray, maybe another week closer to being the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Oklahoma grabs the number nine seed in the South region of the NCAA tournament. Are we counting out Tanner Mordecai just a little bit too early in spring football, softball, baseball updates, and the Thunder, my friends, the Thunder seem to be tanking right now. Welcome to Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Um, I don't, there's, there's a lot to go with, Rich, but I feel like with all due respect to the NCAA tournament that we're going to jump into, Kyler Murray meets with the Arizona Cardinals in Norman on Tuesday, which happens to be the day that we are recording this podcast. There, there's two, two schools of thought that I'm, I'm hearing on the Kyler Murray front, and I want to throw them both at out at to you and get your thoughts on them. The first is the traditional way of being the number one overall draft pick, and that is Arizona takes him. I feel like you and I were at the front of this wave of momentum that's building towards Kyler Murray being the overall number one pick in the draft. I remember even back in February, you and I talking about this when Cliff, King, when Cliff Kingsbury took that job. We, we discussed this very fact that he that's a marriage made in heaven with Kingsbury's offensive mindset and Kyler Murray's skill set. So that's one option for him to be the overall pick in the NFL draft. But another option, something to keep an eye on, is that the Miami Dolphins have traded Ryan Tannehill away from them to, uh, to Tennessee. No, is he going to? Yeah, he went to Nashville, uh, to Tennessee, um, leaving the Dolphins without a without a starting quarterback, so to speak, the two teams that you hear the most about were Arizona, Miami, it's possibility the Dolphins make a trade with Arizona to get that number one overall pick. If the Cardinals can't get rid of Josh Rosen, there's, there's options there. So there's a traditional way the Cardinals just take him the non-traditional way Miami trades up to get him either way. I, I, if I was a betting man, my money is on Kyler Burry being the number one overall pick. It's really hard to bet against that at this point in time with all of the news that continuously surrounds Kyler Murray. Matt, you and I had talked, what a brand this kid is already building. And he hasn't even, one, been drafted into the NFL. Two, he hasn't even put on a number suited up and stepped out onto the field as a quarterback in the mm -hmm. NFL one thing that we do know about Kyler Murray is anywhere he goes, they're going to see an uptick, I believe, in ticket sales, but also in a little bit of ad share revenue, if you will, because of jersey sales. When we begin to talk about Kyler Murray and the quarterback situation, there, I still believe there is something that has to happen with Arizona and Josh Rosen, and they're just going to have to take a loss if they don't want Josh Rosen, and they would rather have Kyler Murray at this point in time. We'll see how it all shakes out. The NFL draft obviously quickly approaching in the month of April, but until then, we'll continue to debate it, right? Well, and I don't know that there's much to debate. I think I think the conversation now turns to how he becomes the number one pick. Like we're, you know, like I said, whether it's the traditional way with the Cardinals just taking him, or if it's the uh, untraditional way, non-traditional way of of Miami trading up to get him. I, I just there's there's too much there. Whether it's marketability, whether it's skill set, you know, one of the things that that the defenses in the NFL are not used to is they're not used to the quarterback being the fastest player on the field. And that's what whoever drafts Kyler Murray, that's what they're going to get out of him. Uh, they're, they're automatically going to have the fastest player on the field at their quarterback position. I, I don't think – I think I think time has proven that the NFL is not a running man's game if you're playing the quarterback position. But I think the NFL has shown that a guy who can throw and run can really make a name for himself. You go all the way back to Michael Vick. Before that, you had Randall Cunningham. You know, you, know, you, you can go back in time and you can pick your spots with a, a dual threat quarterback. And what you have in those guys, even going back to when um, – when the Pittsburgh Steelers had Cordell Stewart, they, you know, the guy was slashed because he was mostly a wide receiver, but they would put him in there uh, to play quarterback for a few snaps. And what made those guys successful was their ability to throw the football. Well, if, if a guy can only run, it, it's easy to scheme for that. But if a guy can run and he can throw with touch, well, then that, that makes a, a, a big, big difference. And uh, I like what Kyler Murray said after his pro day workout. He basically just said – 
I can make every throw on the field. And then there's film that shows that. Um, so there you have it. Um, Kyler Murray with a very impressive pro day performance. I, I just, again, I, as a Miami Dolphins fan, that's the scenario I want to see happen because I would love to have this guy on, on my team, but who, like you said, whoever gets him, uh, they're getting, they're getting a steal, even if they pay top price for him at number one, because what he's going to do being the first player ever to be drafted in the first round of the major league baseball draft and in the NFL draft and with the university of Oklahoma, having the first time ever, uh, back to back number one draft picks, at the quarterback position. It's never been done in the history of the draft. So yeah, there's a lot of marketability there. And um, I feel like, uh, I feel like someone's going to have a guy around that's more than a novelty item. And, and you've had some <laughs> of those guys, you know, Johnny Manziel with all, you know, I know he had his, his fans, but Johnny Manziel was, was a novelty item. People try to label Baker Mayfield as a novelty item. He proved he was different than that. Uh, Kyler Murray is far from a novelty item. Here's what I want to know, because I see this happen with some frequency in the NBA draft. We see these essentially sign-in trades or draft and trade, if you will. We know from experience in this previous draft that Luka Doncic and Trey Young were two members who found themselves in that situation. Could we potentially see Arizona hang on? and use a similar scenario to what happened with Atlanta and, and Dallas in order to get Kyler Murray, but have that guarantee instead of giving up so much up front before the draft, ironing out the details before all of that goes down. Instead, Arizona takes them, trades them for some key components that they're looking for to a team like Miami. No, I definitely see there's a way – to that happening. I look, I, I know the Cardinals want him there. There's no doubt about that. Cliff Kingsbury has been drooling over Kyler Murray since he, even back when he was the head coach at Texas tech. So th the Cardinals want him. The, the, the question for the Cardinals is, can they afford him? Can they unload Josh Rosen who was an, a first round draft pick last year at, I think number 10 is where they took him. So that's, that's the big issue that Arizona has going on. Where Miami, they've got cap space and they've got roster space. They've got some extra draft picks now from the Ryan Tannehill trade uh, and so forth. So they could they could put a package together and either say, okay, you guys take him and then trade him to us, or here's here's what we're going to give you for that top overall pick. Either way, I think there's a potential there. I, I just like I said, if if I was betting, my my money is that Kyler's number one. I just not a hundred percent sold at this point that that number one team is going to be the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't naysay what you're saying, but here's what I like. When you talk about Ryan Tannehill, can I just be thankful that he's gone from Miami? Bro, listen, Matt, man, you and I, I, you and I had a long, yeah. long conversation. I remember, I don't even think I was in the country when that draft happened. No, I, I definitely had to have been, but I can remember, I don't think I was in Oklahoma city. I remember walking past some kind of sports bar and them having the TV on stopping, glaring in for a split second. Ryan Tannehill pops up as a quarterback. And I remember thinking to myself, this guy, I can't deny his athleticism, but wasn't he a, a pretty decent wide receiver? How did how yeah. did he grow into this quarterback that was desirable outside of his size and athleticism? How did he grow into a quarterback that was desirable in the NFL? It, it didn't add up to me, and now all these headlines that I'm seeing is Ryan Tannehill, best backup quarterback in the NFL, not even a starter anymore, backup in the mm -hmm. NFL. Crazy what just a couple of years can do for you. Yeah, let me let me refresh your memory uh, where where that happened. We were at Buffalo Wild Wings in Bartersville, Oklahoma. My son was a uh, junior or senior in high school. I think it was 2012 when they took him. So that would have made him a junior. But they, 2012. they were at the playing baseball at the Tri-State Tournament. 
and you and I were there. We went to dinner at Buffalo Wild Wings after the game, and that's when the draft happened and the Dolphins took him. And I have been furious ever since that moment <laughs> over that selection. So, um, I mean, those, hey, well, those, maybe, maybe it's the same will fall into I, your I just, lap. I, I just got to tell you that this is the same organization that chose to try to reinvent Dante Culpepper instead of picking up Drew Brees. I mean, that's just Miami has ever since Dan Marino, Miami has colossally missed out on quarterbacks in the NFL. And so it would not surprise me if they find a way to mess this up and not get, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Dolphins end up with Josh Rosen at this point, but um, oh, come I, on. I don't know. Don't no, say I'm that. serious. I am dead serious. He's rich. I'm here's, not. You're listening to this. Oh, go ahead. I was, I was here's all I was going to go ahead. You're good. Here's all I was going to add to the conversation about Kyler Murray. When we begin to look at Arizona and you, you use this label, Matt, a match made in heaven, because I do think it's going to take a head coach who knows how to utilize the abilities of a Kyler Murray instead of trying to box him up and force him to be this prototypical quarterback despite his lack of size, despite the weight, despite the numbers, the measurables that are actually on a piece of paper. Now, if he is put underneath a coach who tries to bottle up that talent, it's going to be the, the worst situation, and we're going to see this all these sparks in the pan just fizzle out. But a guy like Cliff Kingsbury, I think, knows exactly what he can do, and he would be able to make Kyler Murray someone who's successful. So you got to look at more than just Kyler Murray and the team and their needs. I think you've also got to look at what this team potentially would do with Kyler Murray. Yeah, I, but I, I think those type of coaches are not – they're going to back away. The, I mean, there were 65-player um, 65 personnel type guys at the pro day to see Kyler Murray. So that means every team was well represented. Uh, but I also know that, like, uh, Cliff Kingsbury was not there. He was in Norman. He chose to be in Norman today for a private meeting with Kyler Murray. But I, I really feel like those those coaches that, that just are stuck to that stereotypical – quarterback position guy they're going to they're not going to they're not going to invest on this so i don't think that's a, that's going to be a problem for him he's rich i'm matt you listen to sooner nation the online podcast heartland sports heartland-sports.com okay rich i i owe you um I owe you not an apology because a steak whenever sandwich. We, I mean dinner. No, I, I mean sandwich. whenever we have our um hey Del Rancho man, not that they're a sponsor or anything, but steak sandwich supreme sounds pretty good from way down here in Bogota, <laughs> Colombia. But whatever. Um you were totally right. I was totally wrong on the Oklahoma basketball situation where I said that they definitely needed to win that opening round game against West Virginia, by the way, heartbreaking loss for the Sooners there in Kansas city, you know, and it's already been talked about played out, but the reminiscent of the buddy healed year when buddy made the three point shot that was ruled. Uh, no, I think it would buddy. It was ruled to come out right after the buzzer where Christian James was ruled toe on the line, but it happened against West Virginia both times. But like I said, I, I, I was from the camp that Oklahoma absolutely had, to win that game to to solidify their seating in the NCAA tournament, whereas you were pretty confident they were in regardless. And and the losing that game to West Virginia, to me, put Oklahoma on the bottom side of the bubble, needing some help. But the fact that the Sooners actually ended up getting the number nine seed instead of the number ten seed, where they were projected before the uh, Big Twelve tournament game, tells me that you were absolutely right and I was absolutely wrong. Now you got to turn your attention towards the Ole Miss Rebels and the, how far. It's, it's not a question now of Oklahoma being in the tournament with the number nine seed. They're there. But how far can they advance in the tournament now is what you got to look at. And I, I feel like the number nine seed obviously is better than the number 10 for, for two reasons. Um, number one, it's one seed higher. But number two, I, I feel like when you look at the South Brackets, if you've got to play one of the top two seeds, I feel like Virginia is more of a susceptible seed than Tennessee. Tennessee scares me. Virginia worries me. I mean, I, Oklahoma is uphill <laughs> battle either way. But if you've got to play one of those two teams in the second round, I think I would pick to play Virginia as opposed to pick to play Tennessee. I 100% agree 
with that statement. And I'm not, I'm not basing this. Okay. Maybe I am basing this on recent history of Virginia, who was the first number one seed to be upset by a number 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. However, I've got to state this, Matt, because I was completely shocked. I told you Oklahoma was in as a 10 or they were out there. There weren't any other options. It wasn't an 11. It wasn't a nine. It, It was a 10 or bust essentially. Oklahoma claims that number nine seed, as we've mentioned, in the South region. And I think you have to attribute, as many people are already doing, to the scheduling that Oklahoma has put on their official page there each and every year because it's the one and only reason, if you're asking me, that they're in this tournament. If you pull up the Big 12 standings, you'll quickly see Oklahoma is is bottom four. They're number seven. They've got Texas, who's just above them, posted an 8 and 10 overall record, but had a, a worse, or excuse me, 8 and 10 conference record, but worse overall record at 16 and 16. And then you've got TCU, exact same conference record of 7 and 11. Overall, they actually got one more win than Oklahoma did. And I've got to ask that question why, why does TCU get bumped out of the tournament? And why is Oklahoma in? Or even why is Texas bumped from the tournament? They played their first game in the NIT tonight, by the way. I don't know if they're winning or they're losing. But you look at someone who's square in the middle of these teams, and and I do have to ask that question of how do they get in the tournament and these other two are left out? I fully believe, as I said, I'm not the only person jumping on this bandwagon, but it is because of the scheduling. As far as Oklahoma paired with Old Miss, I like the pairing because Oklahoma did so well in the non-conference portion of their schedule. I'm hoping that we're going to see a repeat of that in this first round. And then obviously you do have to prepare as the nine seed for potentially playing that number one seed in the region. And I agree with you, Matt. Virginia is susceptible, whereas I look at a Tennessee and I view them as more of a complete team. Virginia, a system, Tennessee, more of a complete team. In fact, I think Tennessee has a really good shot of winning it all. I haven't filled out my bracket yet, but I believe that that they've got one of the better shots of actually making it not only to the Final Four, but to that championship game. Ole Miss, a 2012 record, finished sixth in the SEC. Sooners and Rebels tip off 11.40 a.m. Friday morning. Uh, True TV is going to carry that. Um, look, it, it, I, I agree with what you're saying about the out-of-conference play. Um, you know, and you look at, of course, Vanderbilt was was just a train wreck this this year. But Oklahoma handled business against Vanderbilt. You look at Northwestern. Um, you look at, um, you know, Wichita State, a game that you covered. You were there live and in person. Uh, to me, though, the team I most compare Ole Miss to is the Kansas Jayhawks, a team that Oklahoma played in the Big 12, split after a real tight game in Lawrence, beat the beat the Jayhawks in Norman. That said, I, I feel like Oklahoma, you know, it's the Sooners are a one-point dog in this game, which means to me Vegas at least agrees with me in the standpoint that this game basically is a pick which means it's going to come to shooting percentage, rebounding, and turnovers, and at least rebounding and turnovers come to Oklahoma's favor. Go, go ahead, disagree. What, what you got? I I am going to disagree with you there because the one time that we've really seen, I shouldn't say the one time where we consistently seen Oklahoma struggle hasn't been, they haven't really had a ton of games decided by rebounds. They haven't had a ton of games decided by turnovers. I think they've got several, if you want to call them this floor generals, you've got Jamal Bienemy, you've got Aaron Calixti out there. You've got Christian James now out of the three of those names in the backcourt, two of them do a major, major portion of that ball handling. But on top of that, you've also got a senior and then Christian James, also a senior. And then coming off the the bench, you've got Reynolds, again, a senior. The, The experience, I think, has limited a lot of those turnovers. We haven't seen that number get extremely high. On Oklahoma, where I think they've suffered, Matt, and this is where I'm going to disagree with you, where I think they've suffered the most 
is in they miss a guy like a Jordan Woodard who would consistently get to the free throw line and provide some consistent source of scoring. No, I, I I've harped agree. on that all season long. I'm just jumping yeah, right back I, on not, it. But I'm not saying that's what Oklahoma's weakness is. If if you want to, I mean, if you want me to pinpoint Oklahoma's weaknesses, we we've talked about it. It's three things. I'll go ahead and and throw out there the free throw shooting that Oklahoma is not the best at getting. The other thing is they're they're I think they're the lowest or one second lowest in the Big 12 and three point shot attempts. Their perimeter shooting has not been great. But in long to Long Kruger's credit. He recognizes that, and he doesn't allow the team or they run an offense where they don't take as many three-point shots. And then they're not deep when it comes to the scores. I mean, if Christian James or or uh, Kristen Doolittle, if they're not on, it's hard to find two, three, and four guys on the list for scoring. I, I agree with all that. But what I'm saying is when you look at two teams that I believe are fairly evenly matched, you look at the things that are the intangibles in the game, and to me – at that point, you look at turnovers, which Oklahoma has been very good at avoiding. And even a guy like Jamal Bienemy, who is a freshman, he he takes very good care of the ball, uncommon for a guy of his age. So you look at turnovers, you look at rebounding. Those two areas Oklahoma has been really good in all season long. And then you look at shooting and scoring from the floor, and that's the area where Oklahoma has had their struggles, and that could be what eventually dooms them. Look, when, I, I'm just going to throw this out there. When Oklahoma loses in the NCAA tournament, because I don't think you or I or anybody else with a reasonable brain is picking Oklahoma to go to the Final Four and win it all, at some point they're going to lose in this tournament. And when they do, it's going to be a bad shooting percentage. Day. I mean, they're going to shoot – less than 40%, in my opinion, on when that time comes for them to lose, it's going to be because they just they, – they shoot themselves out of the game, in my opinion. Well, and, and that's what I'm saying is you can curb a lot of those inefficiencies by doing some other things efficiently. And you and I have already hit on it, so I'm not going to continue to be this dead horse, but it, it comes in those free throws – I get what you're saying because second chance points by all means provide that same or an equal opportunity. So once again, even though you've missed, I don't know why I'm explaining this such an easy concept to grasp, but after that miss uh, allowing that shot clock to reset, allowing the offense to reestablish itself and find maybe a better shot than what was taken before in order to get some points on that trip. I do think these things are vital, Matt, but I still have to give if Oklahoma, even if they're shooting under 40%, I still think this is a winnable game for Oklahoma. But like I said, they've got to do a few things better than what they've done throughout the regular season that is outside of field goal percentage. I agree. I I don't think we're saying that the I don't think we're saying separate things at all. By the way, Texas uh Five points better than South Dakota State at the moment. Longhorns lead 64-59, uh, just uh, just over 10 minutes left as we're recording this podcast. Who surprised you more being left out, the Texas Longhorns or the TCU Horn Frogs? Um, yeah, I would honestly – I thought Texas obviously had a better – if they were putting together a resume, they had a better one in conference play. But you've got to look at a record that's – just sitting at 500 and say, right. is a team that's 500, are they worthy of consideration regardless of what they've done in conference play? And that was a sub 500 record in conference play. So I would be a little bit more surprised by TCU being left out above 500, started out the season extremely well. I believe they were even in the top 25 and it all yes. just kind of crumbled from there. Um, so I thought there was a lot more potential from TCU than there was for Texas. And I am more surprised that TCU was left out given the numbers, given the the wins that they compiled this season. See, for me, it all comes down to branding. I think when you look at Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, I feel like all three of those schools had a a, a decent argument to get in the tournament. I when you when you look at Texas to 16 and 16, you know, we, we talked about the magic number being 20. Oklahoma got to 19. Texas got to 16. They are 500. 
Um, but I think the brand is what probably could have helped them out. It, it, but of course they, they drew a tough draw having to, to play Kansas to open up their part of the big 12 tournament. Um, so I think I agree with you with that TCU probably was the team that got, they got the shaft, not making it into the NCAA tournament, but that said, I mean, as an Oklahoma fan, I'm certainly glad uh, they're the ones who made it in and uh, and wishing them all the best as they get ready to play what I believe is going to be a tough Ole Miss team. Um, I mean, I, I just want to address this just, just for a quick second. When, when you look at the, the coaches, by the way, Texas just fell behind South Dakota State, 65-64, but eight and a half minutes left to play. Still, still plenty of time for there. Um, when you look at Big 12 coaches this year, I'm, I'm going to say something that's probably not going to be popular, um, particularly amongst Oklahoma fans. And it doesn't make me any less than an Oklahoma fan to say this. But when you when you look at the Big 12 coaches this year and and who truly did the best job, I'm not talking about who's going to win Big 12 Coach of the Year. I'm talking about who did the best with what they had. I feel like you got to look at Mike Boynton in Stillwater to have dismissed the players that he dismissed, to have one guy just up and leave just because he's not happy, to only have seven scholarship athletes, and to really, I mean, take Kansas to the wire, to beat Baylor, you know, to close out the regular season with the win um, in Stillwater, to, to push Texas Tech um, in the Big 12 tournament. Was it Texas Tech that they played? And I'm, I'm confused on who they played. But anyway, I mean, I, Mike Boynton, is really a coach that didn't really give me draw a lot of attention for me until this year when I saw what he could do with seven players. I, I feel like you give this guy some time <laughs> to to reload his roster. I mean, you and I talked about it. I, one of the things again, this is the Matt Hofeld was wrong uh, episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. But one of the things that we talked about when they did the open tryouts for all those just trying to find bodies for their team, one of the things that I said was there's no way any of those guys are ever going to play in a Big 12 conference game. And again, I was wrong. Not only did they play, but they they played some crucial minutes and some of them made some crucial shots down the stretch to help this team. Once he gets to his scholarship limit of players, Mike Boynton is going to be a coach that that I think is going to make waves in the big 12. Um, and again, I'm, I don't, I don't pride myself on complimenting Oklahoma state, but I am going to say that they've got a coach that definitely has my attention season's over for them. But man, if I'm an Oklahoma state fan, as bad as this season was, I'm looking forward to next year. You know what I mean? I do understand what you're saying. And I think you make a valid point. But it's hard to argue with what Texas Tech did, especially considering Kansas, the favorite coming into the season, the level of talent they have. Jarrett Culver really elevating his game. I know we attribute that to the individual, but we also have to give some credit to that coaching staff. And to see Texas Tech claim not only the the Big 12 regular season championship, but become really this dominant force on defense it's because kids have bought in to what the coaching staff is selling. I see what you're saying, Matt, and maybe in the future, some recognition will come his way. He's definitely going to turn heads, but he's got to prove it on, on the recruiting for me first. Well, true. Um, but I, I, again, I, I, I think if you look at the recruiting in just a short time, he's been the head coach. And some of the guys that he has at least coming to Stillwater for a visit, I mean, that, that's the first step. And some of the guys that he has committed. Again, I, I, this, this points towards Oklahoma State finally rising out of the ashes um, and be, becoming one of the teams in the Big 12 that is not only going to make the NCAA tournament regularly, but make some deep runs into the NCAA tournament as well. And when, when you look at – you know, you mentioned Texas Tech. There, to me, Texas Tech is peaking at the right time because, you know, Kansas clearly down this year. Now they're under NCAA investigation. Rumors of Bill Self going to the Chicago Bulls. The, the, all that swirling, it's, it's almost the perfect storm for a changing of the guard in the Big 12. And Texas Tech is making their peak at just the right time to be the team that does that 
but also there's going to be some jockeying for position. Lon Kruger's got some guys coming in next year as well. And, and Lon Kruger, you know, he's a staple, not just in the Big 12, but he's a staple in, in the NCAA basketball as far as coaching goes. It's going to be an interesting next two or three seasons for the Big 12 for sure to see how all this shakes out with Big uh, with Bill Self. All this shakes out with NCAA investigations. Uh, it's going to be fun as teams kind of move around in the pecking order, so to speak, in the Big 12. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Uh, you listen to Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. Okay, Rich, you um, you had some thoughts about Tanner Mordecai. Do you really feel like as spring practice moves on, is there a quarterback competition going on in Norman? Uh, that depends on who you believe at this point in time. Here is really where my thoughts came from, Matt. Um, in doing just a little bit of digging in preparation for this podcast, I went back to an older article about Lincoln Riley press conference for the spring position changes. And I know, I know that this is coach speak. I know it's happened in the past and it hasn't worked out for one of the players who's always been mentioned in this equation. Last year, we talked about Austin Kendall. We talked about Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray having to win that starting position. Now we're seeing the exact same thing happen when it comes to Jalen Hurts. Even though Jalen Hurts is a transfer, he's a one-year guy, we continuously hear this coach speak of he's got to come in and he's got to earn it. I'm not saying that isn't true, but it's hard for me to look at that situation and said, okay, so you brought a guy in for a year and and now you're just going to put him on the bench? Like he would have been better if it's Jalen Hurts sitting at Alabama than he would have been at Oklahoma, at least with Jalen Hurts on the bench at Alabama, they still have a shot at winning that national championship. I don't know that Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts on the bench has that type of potential. But where we, where this Tanner Mordecai comes in for me isn't in the competition with Jalen Hurts. It's what happens the next year. Um, and I'm really looking at it because I do think Tanner Mordecai is going to be quarterback number two when everything is set in stone. But we want to rush into giving Spencer Rattler the keys to the kingdom. We forget easily that Tanner Mordecai was a guy who who passed. I mean, he's a dual threat quarterback. I want to make sure that I've got, got my numbers right here. But he passed for nearly 4,000 yards in high school and, and rushed for another 2,000. Does that sound like the type of quarterback that Oklahoma has just plugged in time and time again since we've seen Baker Mayfield? We could even go back further than that under Bob Stoops years, but Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, it's what we're expecting to get out of Jalen Hurts. Tanner Mordecai is that guy for me, and I just think to write him off immediately is foolish. Well, uh, first, let me say that with Jalen Hurts on the bench, Oklahoma doesn't even have a chance to win the Big 12, much less the national championship. Um, Look, here's, here's what we know. Fact. Lincoln Riley met with Kyler Murray after he was drafted. And there was an agreement made. We we know that. Like, it's there's no disguise. It's no. They, they've even talked about it. You know, Lincoln Riley's on 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 record saying, "Yeah, I talked to Kyler's family. Here's what." Because you know, think about it. Lincoln when 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 he was taken number one, number nine overall in the Major League Baseball draft. Lincoln Riley didn't bat an eye at it. He was like, "Yeah." We expect him to be here uh, for summer, and he's going to be uh, yeah. They, quarterback I think year. the Oakland I mean, A's said that same thing after the NFL right. draft, Matt. <laughs> well, no, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, Lincoln Riley was right. He was correct. How was he correct? Because he had spoken with Kyler and had spoken with Kyler's family prior to the draft, and and it was like Kyler, look, you're our guy. Okay, Kyler does not walk away from that without some sort of agreement to play quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts had the exact same type of conversation with Lincoln Riley. Jalen Hurts comes into Norman. They have an agreement. And and here's how this goes, all right? Jalen, if you come to Norman, Oklahoma, and if you can do this and this 
and this, which I know you're capable of doing, but if you won't get lazy on me, if you will be a leader and you take ownership and you take possession of this, if you learn the playbook, you're our starting quarterback. The only way you're not the starting quarterback is if you don't take leadership, you don't learn the playbook, you, you, you get lazy on me, and you know, th then we got to look to a guy like Tanner Mordecai. And when Lincoln Riley talks about a quarterback battle, be it Austin Kendall and Kyler Murray or Tanner Mordecai and Jalen Hurts, all he's saying is to Jalen Hurts, hey, you remember that conversation? This is your team if you do these things. That, 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 that is the only way this is a quarterback competition. I agree. I think this time next year, we're having fun with this conversation as we look at Spencer Rattler and Tanner Mordecai. I fully believe uh, I expect Mordecai to be QB number two. I expect uh, Rattler to get a red shirt year this year. I think we'll see him in some mop-up duty in early games as he has that four-game you know, minimum with the red shirt rule. But next year is when we start looking at Tanner Mordecai versus Spencer Rattler. This is undoubtedly, barring injury or barring, you know, Jalen Hurts just trying to, you know, ride the gravy train to, to Lincoln Riley's success. This is Jalen Hurts' team. There's no other way around it. I, I took the same stance with Kyler Murray last year, and I'm taking it with Jalen Hurts this year. No way he's not the starting quarterback for the Houston Cougars on August 31st. Hey, tell me this. Uh, because we are talking about quarterbacks right here, right now, when we begin to look at this situation, I, I have really two, <laughs> I guess, two questions. The the first, um, and you can completely skip over this one. It's not as important as the second. How many games do we see Tanner Mordecai in this season as he only played in two last year? But a little bit further reaching than that, when's the last time Oklahoma has had a uh, just a all-out quarterback battle for that starting position? Blake Bell, Trevor Knight is the answer to your second question. Um, and I think, you know, I expect Tanner Mordecai to be QB number two this year. So, uh, yeah, he, he's going to be the first guy. He, he's going to be – now, we would have seen more of Austin Kendall last year had he not got hurt against, I, I believe it was UCLA. I can't remember which game early he got hurt in. It may have even been Florida Atlantic that he it got hurt. Was, uh, Florida Atlantic and UCLA were the two games Mordecai was in. Right. So, I mean, I, I think we're going to see more of – we would have seen more of Austin Kendall. And, and look, I, I think Austin – we're – I'm, my ADD is going to kick in here. I, I think Oklahoma fans, hopefully they will give Austin Kendall a pass for transferring. I, I think the university did the correct thing of giving him immediate eligibility to play at West Virginia as a graduate transfer, just from the standpoint that all he has done, I mean, Lincoln Riley recruited him when he was at East Carolina. Since coming to Oklahoma, all he has done is wait on transfer quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, a transfer quarterback. Kyler Murray, a transfer quarterback. And now it's his time to shine. Oh, wait, no, hey, we got Jalen Hurts, a transfer quarterback. So give that kid a pass and let him go to West Virginia and wish him all the success in the world as long as he's not playing Oklahoma. That said, we would have seen more of him last year had it not been for the knee injury. I think we see Tanner Mordecai on that front uh, this year, and Spencer Rattler becomes the guy who plays about the extent that Tanner Mordecai did in 2018. Does that answer your questions in a roundabout way? Yeah, yeah, it, it does answer the question um, for sure. Like, like you said, man, I actually haven't thought about the Blake Bell and the – help me out here. Trevor Knight. Okay, I was going to say or not because it just was that awkward silence there for a second. Sorry. I had honestly f forgotten about that. I was thinking back to did Baker Mayfield battle anyone? Well, Landry Jones was more or less handed the job because right. Sam Bradford's energy – energy – injury. Well, Sam Bradford – wait, 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 wait. Sam Bradford did have energy as well. <laughs> Needless to say – I was, like I said, just going down the list, going down the list. I didn't remember one. I could go back further than that, but I couldn't find this heavily entrenched quarterback battle. It, for sure, next spring um, will definitely be an interesting storyline. But for this year, all I know is that Spencer Rattler is going to be the most popular person 
on campus because everybody wants to know what he's actually capable of on the collegiate level. We'll just have to wait a year. I do expect him to play in those four games. I do expect him to have that red shirt intact as he comes in for a second season with the University of Oklahoma and four years of eligibility remaining. But like I said, don't skip out. Don't completely look past or overlook a guy like Tanner Mordecai because he has the tools to be successful at the University of Oklahoma. No, I agree 100%. After Jalen Hurts leaves, though, is the, that's the only stipulation. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, it, I agree it, with it, that. You, you throw that out there and then you like dot, dot, dot after Jalen Hurts leaves. And and I think it's going to be, you know, that that Blake Bell, Trevor Knight quarterback competition was a, a healthy, fun quarterback competition. And, and I feel played, like. So. Well, I mean, situation dictated that because neither one of them – I mean, they they both in their own right had their strengths, but neither one of them was the complete package. Well, and also Trevor Knight struggled with injuries. That said, hey. this, this I believe this, this quarterback competition coming up next year is going to be every bit as, as fun and as deep as that one was. And the truth is that quarterback competition will start in June once Spencer Rattler gets on campus. Most memorable Blake Bell moment? Go. For me, uh, man, I've got two of them. In in the short. No, no, no. I just want I just want the most. Okay, so for me, the most was uh, the most. No, okay, it would be Bedlam, uh, the the overtime game in Norman where Blake Bell, uh, Bell Dozer scores to send the game into overtime, and then uh, Brennan Clay's crowning moment as an Oklahoma Sooner would be uh, running over the safety for Oklahoma State on his way into the end zone to clinch an overtime victory. That's that's it for me. Okay, and then on the other side? Trevor Knight? Uh-huh. Oh, it's the Sugar Bowl, hands down. I mean, that's if okay. you ask any, yeah, Oklahoma, so, any, any Oklahoma fan, their crowning moment is going to be the Sugar Bowl. I agree with Trevor Knight. I disagree with Blake Bell. I think the – the most memorable moment for me, and we're hashing things that I know we didn't plan to at this point, Matt, but the most memorable moment was in Stillwater for Bedlam when Blake Bell found Jalen Saunders at the back of the end zone yeah. to win that game. That's a good moment. That's I, what I I'm looking for. I would also throw the the Notre Dame game in South Bend where he, when he comes right. in as the starter unexpectedly and and leads Oklahoma to victory in South Bend. I mean, there there were some good Blake Bell moments, but like I, I that's that Stillwater game that I remember how cold that was. <laughs> that was that was a, a good game for but for me, I I don't know, man. That that Bedlam game the year before in in Norman when they win in overtime. That was more of I don't know I just when I when I think back of big moments of Oklahoma football to me that's one of the better games I've ever attended live in person and so I, agree. I, I totally I totally get what you're saying about the Stillwater one and that the, and by the way do yourself a favor I guess as I threw some some love towards Mike Boynton I'll, I'll throw some shade now do yourself a favor and Google that year for that Bedlam broadcast, it's on, it's on YouTube. You can hear the audio they they got matched up video to audio with the uh, Stillwater with, with the Oklahoma state broadcast team. And after that Jalen Saunders touchdown, it goes something along the lines of like 90 seconds of just silence, just dead air. Cause they were just out of words to say with that comeback win. So again, well, dumbfounded, I guess, would be the word to use there. Um, and and Blake Bell, you know, that that was a big moment for him. And kudos to him for switching positions and and making somewhat a career in the NFL as a tight end. But um, that, again, that that quarterback competition was more of, I believe, of attrition. Where this quarterback competition between Spencer uh, Rattler and um, and Tanner Mordecai is going to be more about talent in evaluation. No, and I go ahead. I completely agree with you. I only reason I asked that question is because I think that's the level of competition that we can expect from those two. Those are the types of plays that we can expect coming from those two candidates in the yeah, future. Absolutely. Sure, of course. I, I'm, yeah, after Jalen's after that's, uh, yeah, like I said, that's just what Jaylen's excites me. After Jalen Hurts, he dot dot dot. After Jalen Hurts, he's Rich. I'm Matt. Sooner Nation, the online podcast of Harlan Sports, Harlan-Sports.com, uh, is where you can find us. Also available on Twitter at Sports Heartland. 
All right, Rich, uh, as we are recording this podcast, Oklahoma baseball up 7-1 to one over New Mexico, a two-game uh, midweek series taking place uh, in Albuquerque. Oklahoma back into the top 25. I sent you a message Sunday night, Monday morning, I can't remember when it was, uh, saying that I expected there, that uh, Cavalli and Prater would have an opportunity to be uh, named players of the week this week in the Big 12. They were not, but that said um, – Man, what, what Oklahoma is doing on the back end of their pitching with their Sunday starters is really impressive. And again, this series uh, last weekend against Southwest Missouri State, Sooners blow an eight to nothing lead in the opening game. They lose that opener, come back and win Saturday. And then Prater, once again, dominant on Sunday afternoon, 15 strikeouts. Um, first, first Oklahoma baseball player to do that in over 20 years. I, I'm liking more and more as this season wears on. I'm liking what Skip Johnson is doing with this baseball team. I'm excited and anxious both for Big 12 play to start next weekend. But I feel like this is this is a team didn't really know what to expect from. Them. Honestly, I don't think anybody really knew what to expect from them. They've been fringe top 25. They were in the top 25. They dropped out. They're back in the top 25. As conference play gets ready to start on Friday, is it too soon to say that this is a team that should be in the NCAA tournament? I don't believe that it's too soon. And and a large reason for that is you can talk about this past weekend after dropping that opener of the series coming back and, and claiming it, the mental fortitude, the fight, and just the attitude that some of these players carry. Matt, I talked to you about Levi Prater when he was a freshman because mm-hmm. I was down there basically in the dugout at the time. And I could tell Prater, even though he was a freshman, had a little bit of an attitude, um, not in a negative way. Now, it's an aggressive attitude, but it's that edge that you want players to begin to live on and more so – the pitchers, I would think. Prater is just a kid who doesn't believe anybody's going to hit anything he throws their way. It helps that he's left-handed and he's facing – well, I guess on the collegiate level, you see a good mixture of both, but you definitely favor a guy who's who's a lefty and can come out in that starting role for you and then switch things up, come in with a change of pace, even switch up the entire look and, and throw a right-handed pitcher out there. Needless to say, you have to like what Oklahoma's doing because, as I've mentioned, they, they've begun to address some of the deficiencies or some of these areas that were lacking that you and I saw firsthand last year. It's why I believe they're deserving of, if we were to settle everything here today, why they're deserving of a bid into the NCAA tournament when that time comes. And it's why they'll earn it, I should say. Okay, I'm with you on that. And if you take a short five-minute walk or less uh, from the baseball stadium to the softball complex. Don't uh, think I've forgotten about that. Do not think I've forgotten about that. Um, We are testing your theory. I'm back in Oklahoma on Sunday, so uh, we'll we'll have time. Oh, we can take Um, a trip. I'll already be in Norman. There we go. Um, Okay, softball, number two in the nation Again, just they didn't just go out and win in California. They dominated for five games, uh, final tournament of the season for them until the Big 12 tournament. Um, conference play starts next weekend. You're going to be there Wednesday night. Oklahoma's playing North Texas. Now, again, I throw this out there. I, I sent you a text this morning, Tuesday morning, saying, hey, watch Big 12 rankings, uh, Big 12 player awards. I, I think Oklahoma has a chance. And Giselle Juarez coming on slower, I think, but has she emerged as the cream of the crop in this thick, Mm. deep, talented pitching staff that Oklahoma has? I would have a, a tough time arguing that she isn't with you because you look at, doesn't she have back-to-back weekly honors at this point? Exactly. I know that she was the big 12 pitcher of the week this week. That's no slight. No, no, no. It was sales. Wasn't it? I think it was sale last week. Well, G Juarez has two this year. I do know that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, she does. I couldn't remember if it was back-to-back weeks. It it was Shannon sale last week though. Yeah, you're right. When, and when I'm looking at him here, I'm saying, 
Juarez is is maybe the more polished, but she also has like 50 plus games of experience on Mariah Lopez. And again, that's no slight to Mariah Lopez because she right. is by all definitions, not a slouch. And she is going to be, in my opinion, she's going to be relied on down the stretch here, especially when Oklahoma starts facing these teams that they know they're going to see again. They're going to want to throw different looks at, I know they've already played Florida State. I know they've already played UCLA. When they see those teams they expect to see in Oklahoma or even in the NCAA tournament, expects uh, something to be shaken up by Patty Gasso. It's what she's done time and time again, year and year again, and it's why they've been so successful under her direction. Well, but to answer and, your question, here, yes. Well, <laughs> here's the thing that's different. We talk about shakeups, but – one of the things that's different as Oklahoma, you know, both in in uh, both polls, they're they're number two uh, for the, for the second week in a row. But one of the things that's different is they're hitting better now. And I've always said this: whether we're talking to baseball or softball, your hitting can always catch up with your pitching. Your pitching doesn't typically catch up with your hitting. And so, if a team comes out of the gate and they're hitting strong and they're pitching bad to me that's a sign that it's going to be maybe a difficult season but if they're pitching strong and they're they're hitting mediocre then you've got you've got time because hitting is all about getting your timing down pitching where there is some timing involved there pitching is more about mental and spotting the ball and it's harder to catch that up if it's i mean you can improve it but if it's mediocre or bad it's hard to improve it vastly over a season. Oklahoma, you know, we, we talked about Juarez, uh, big pitcher of the week. Um, she pitched a perfect game. It's the first uh, first perfect game in the Big 12 since 2015. She had 18 strikeouts over the weekend. But right next to her was Callie Clifton, Big 12 player of the week. Seven RBIs in five games, nine runs scored. She led Oklahoma in batting average. This, this is an offense that's becoming – more and more dangerous every time they take the field. And it's, it reminds me of the offense two years ago where there just really wasn't a soft spot to hit in this offense. They, they don't have that right now. There's, there's not a, there's not a pitcher in the offense that you, you can take, you know, a, you, you can't take a, a bat, excuse me, not a batting offense that you can take off as a pitcher. Like, okay, we're going to pitch around this one so we can get to that one. This team will make you pay for that and they'll make you pay dearly for that. That's the difference between now and when they played that tournament in Florida where they lost to Florida State and when they were out in New Mexico and they lost to um, – help me out. Was it UCLA or was it Arizona? They lost to Arizona, I think. So th those are the main differences between now and then is that this is a team that's starting to find themselves offensively, and, man, they're crushing the ball from that aspect. Yeah, Oklahoma's losses are to, to UCLA – in Florida mm. State, to my recollection there, Sorry. because Florida State no. was one. You're good. UCLA was two. And I hate to say, I hate that term, good losses. I, I don't believe that that actually exists. Oklahoma does have two losses, Matt, and I've got to agree with you. You look at how many people, how many players, new players, are being inserted into the lineup. Not only have we seen them inserted into the lineup, they now have to submit themselves on the field and prove that they've got what it takes to back up these pitchers, whether that's Shannon Sale, whether that's Mariah Lopez, G. Juarez, or even Parker Conrad coming out. It doesn't matter who it is. They had to prove that, and I finally think they have the confidence of saying, we actually belong here. They're 27 games into the year already, and when you step onto that field with a team that is on the verge of establishing a dynasty, I can see how intimidation takes over, and you're saying, I, I know that I'm a good player, but do I actually belong here? Do I actually belong at this level? And now, like I said, I, I believe we're seeing some of these younger players who are stepping into starting roles for the first time say, yeah, I actually do. And that confidence is what is propelling them at the plate and on the defensive side of the field. Yeah. You know, one, one more thing on this, just kind of a fun deal as we close it out. And, and I don't remember exactly which player said what, but 
following Sunday's win, one of the players, one of the pitchers, and I, I think it may have been Juarez, but I'm not 100% sure. One of the pitchers tweeted out, man, I would hate to have to pitch against our lineup, to which I think it was Callie Clifton tweeted out and said, well, I'd hate to have to bat against our pitchers. And it was funny because I do remember mm-hmm. it, was Nicole, it was Nicole Mendez who replied to that and said, yeah, I have to do both. Because, you know, she's both a hitter and a pitcher. Right. So, I mean, it's just a dangerous, dangerous combination. And and they're only going to get better. Um, I I think, again, we've talked about this. um, uh, We've talked about this multiple times. And there's no point in beating a dead horse. But this, the expectation hasn't changed as far as this team being in Oklahoma City at the end of May for the Women's College World Series. All right, Rich, we got five minutes left on the podcast. we again, we don't talk as much Thunder basketball as we probably should. Uh, if you look at our top posts for last week, it's all Thunder uh, because of Russell Westbrook's altercation in Utah. But really, more than that is the way this team is playing. They, they've lost six of their last 10 games, uh, including three in a row at Indiana, Golden State, and then the Shocker uh, with a loss to Miami on Monday night. Now they get ready to play Toronto on Wednesday night. They won those crazy back to back type deals they'll play toronto wednesday night in oklahoma city and then turn around and fly to toronto to play their the raptors again on friday night this thing could get bad for the thunder and it may already be bad i mean where where do you see this team right now as far as mentally that i don't know because i believe oklahoma city may have peaked just before the all-star break we're not necessarily hearing about Paul George and the MVP conversations anymore, which not only tells you as an individual how each player is playing, but it tells you how they're playing as a team. Mentality-wise, I think we saw a lot of that frustration exuded on the court against the Warriors. I didn't watch that game, Matt. I don't know if you watched the game, but the score is also indicative, indicative, I believe, of that frustration Russell Westbrook picking up that suspension, sitting out against the Heat, will rejoin the team with the Raptors. But I'm, they are on the verge. I don't know where they're at mentally to answer your question, but they are on the verge of an eight seed in the playoffs, whereas previously they they could have claimed the three seed. Yeah, and see, to me, it's all about distractions. And 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 there's there's Thunder fans who are going to scream at you for saying that, but that's the reality. I mean, look, Golden State didn't have Kevin Durant. That game was in Oklahoma City. Should have been won. The Thunder didn't have Russell Westbrook against Miami, but that's in Oklahoma City. Should have been won. Now you're getting ready to play uh, Toronto, which is, I mean, they're they're one of the top teams in the East, but it's a game Wednesday night that Oklahoma City should win. But then they turn around and they go to Toronto, and anytime you're playing Kawhi Leonard, you got issues. Um, they, I, I don't know. I mean, they're 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 like a game and a half from being the eighth seed in the playoffs right now. And if you fall that far, that puts you obviously a first round matchup between either Denver or Golden State. If Oklahoma City, we're looking too far down the road here right now, but if Oklahoma City ends this year with another first round exit in the playoffs, you got to say that's the end for Billy Donovan. I mean, right? I mean, you've got to say with the expectation with Paul George coming back over the summer. It, to have the number eight seed in the playoffs, there's no way that was the expectation. You you have underperformed, and if you get a first-round exit once again, I mean, someone's got to be the fall guy when you're paying all this money out to Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and that fall guy is, is going to be Billy Donovan. It's very true, and and I think you're going to see a lot – of people begin to point towards the beginning of the season and how this portion of the season that we're at currently has a lot of similarities, almost mirrors that beginning of the season. And we remember how rocky of a start that was because living in Oklahoma, it's it's kind of that conversation starter. If you know someone's interested in sports, I mean, I wear a hoodie all the time that has Sooners stapled across the okay it's not really stapled they're sewn across the front of it and I can't tell you how many people walk into my office 
Maybe I shouldn't be wearing a hoodie to the office. It's the lesson <laughs> learned here, but I can't tell you how many people walk into my office and immediately wanted to talk about the NFL draft. They they right. didn't know what what sport I was supporting. So yeah, we heard about it at the beginning of the season. We're hearing about it now by virtue of living in Oklahoma. Something has to change. I believe it's on the defensive side of the court more than it is the offensive side of the court. But again, it's going to be the motivator. Is Billy Donovan capable of coaching this caliber, these types of players? Or is it the second year in a row that basically it's crumbled? Important stretch coming up for Oklahoma City next week, beginning on Wednesday, first of five games at home to close out the season. Uh, Indiana, Denver, Dallas, the Lakers, Detroit. And then they they finish with two of their last three on the road, uh, being at Minnesota and Milwaukee, sandwiched in between that is a home game against Houston. It, that that five game stretch with five home games, super critical for Oklahoma City as far as playoff seating goes. That's going to wrap it up for us. He's Rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation podcast, online podcast of Heartland Sports. Heartland-Sports.com is where you can catch us. We'd love to have your feedback. Leave us a comment at at Heartland-Sports.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We want to know your thoughts. Where you agree? Where you disagree? What are we not talking about? What are we missing? We want to know about it. Rich, have a great night. Thanks for listening, everybody. Boomer Sooner.